was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how these athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm delighted to say that my guest is former world champion, Derville O'Rourke. Derville, former world champion. I don't think that really gets enough credit. It's like, it's the biggest thing ever. When I was preparing my intro here, I was actually blown away by how big a deal it is. Maybe in the moment and when you're making all that progress and you're kind of on the way to that, like it feels like it's, you know, it's next to come. But when you actually reflect back on it a few years after the event, it's huge. Yeah, it's a funny one. I remember winning it, obviously, and it's it's an indoors. So like I won it indoors and then I knew I had the outdoor season to prepare for so I didn't really take it in I didn't honestly spend really much time thinking about it and then we did the outdoor season and I finished up second at a European outdoors that summer and I remember there was I felt and I could have been incorrect that there was a kind of undertone of I had underachieved at that European outdoors because I'd gone from being world under champion to silver at that world at European outdoors but like the girl who won ended up breaking the world indoor record. That still stands. Susanna Clore. She ended up, you know, she's one of the greatest sprint hurdlers of all time. So I come second to a phenomenal athlete who was on her game in her hometown. And it's, yeah, it's, does it get enough? I don't know. Does it or does it not get enough credit? But I, I do know it was extremely hard to do. It was very rare. And particularly in the event, like in a sprint and a sprint hurdles, like, very competitive and it's not it's not an event that really people skip an indoor season and there's all these debates around indoors and outdoors and yeah it's yeah it's it's, I I probably I would say yeah to someone up at the time I didn't really appreciate it or give it the credit um because it started my medal side of my career you know it's like I had two distinct phases in my career the trying to make it and the kind of making it and trying to hang on to where I'd made it to and that started it and it was the easiest medal I ever won that gold because I had no pressure I had no expectation I was in a in a run of form where I hadn't been beaten I hadn't been injured I hadn't been sick felt like the easiest medal the easiest race of my life I remember ringing my coach Sean afterwards and saying you know I think I could have gone a good bit faster (laughs) he was laughing because if I'd gone a good bit faster I would have smashed the world record (laughs) so I obviously couldn't have gone a good bit faster but that's how easy it felt so I think I didn't credit it and but now I do now as like a retired athlete and as someone who loves the sport and I watch everything. I'm I'm very much a huge fan of the sport. So now I'm delighted with it. I think it's great. It's actually the only picture I have up in my house of me doing athletics is me winning that gold. Yeah, it just feels so big now when I was, you know, I've done so many of these podcasts over the last few months and interviewed so many different people and doing different bits of research. And just it just jumps out as me has been pretty amazing to be champion of the world in a moment in time is pretty class. We will get to that in a little while but just first of all how are you how's things how's life we're coming out the far side of the pandemic now how have you been i 
good. Um, I'm, I'm busy. I'm always busy. Uh, so I'm busy with my own business, my online business, Derville.ie. And then I'm busy with the two kids, you know, they're two and six. And after you do all those things in the day and kind of try and carve out like 30 minutes for yourself, there's not a lot of time left over. So I'm just busy, but I'm happy busy. I read, um, I was reading this book recently that got given to me by someone and the guy in the book was describing at the start where he has so much going on and then he was like, but he, it's all self-inflicted that he, these are all the things he does himself and I'm that person. I'm like, I have so much going on, but it's all stuff because I work for myself that I sign up to and do myself. So um, no, things, things are good. Are you feel feeling happy now about, I guess, that transition from athlete to businesswoman? It feels like anyway that you're over the hump now that you do have that new identity. I, you're lucky as well. Derville is such a great name to have for a company and to have Derville.ie because straight away you've got a brand awareness, which people probably have to spend years and years building up um, to get to that to that. Uh, stage that you were probably at nearly automatically but do you feel like you have completed the transition now? I w- yeah it, it, the name thing's hilarious because the only reason it was durable.ie is because I couldn't really think of a, another name and then so many people still call me Dervila that I'm sure lots of people are probably looking up Dervila.ie but um have I completed yeah I think that tra- it's funny with that transition it's loads of different ways of looking at it I would be I find the whole thing really interesting and I sometimes think maybe you don't totally complete that transition. Maybe it's just like me as an athlete forms a big part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it, it's a big part of me, but it's not the main thing that defines me. Like I, you know, I feel motivated enough that my work career now will for me be bigger than maybe my running career felt at the time. But that's because that's the type of person I am. I'm quite ambitious. Um but yeah, the, tra- the transition is definitely, I think people navigate it so differently. And for me, I very much was like, I'm not going to let uh, just being an athlete be the biggest thing that was ever in my life. I want to go out and live a big, exciting life and do things that I find strangely intimidating, but interesting. And I keep doing that. So I'm definitely quite happy. But also there's no harder job than being a professional athlete. Like I look back and I'm like, thank god I'm thank god I'm not doing it now you know like I, I did 14 years of it and um, I'm pretty pleased that that's not my day-to-day job and I'm coaching a tiny bit at the moment and I was programming out for the athlete I'm coaching on Sunday myself and Marion Heffernan are doing a bit of coaching together and we're doing out our program we spent three hours sitting down with the program on Sunday and after the three hours we just looked at each other and we said how glad are you that you're retired that you don't see this in <laughs> four weeks and we we're like I'm very glad so tell me a bit more about the coaching so like did somebody come to you did did you seek it out yourself is it look you obviously had uh, were lucky enough to to be coached by really good people throughout your career do you feel like it's a, a giving back thing or do you have ambitions there to I know it's Ireland and we don't exactly have like a massive network of professional coaches or avenues for anyone but still there is a lot of value put on what coaches do for our athletes for me I guess the closest thing you've hit on there is that it's a giving back it's I was fortunate that I was coached by amazing people through the different phases of my running life from being a kid to being a teenager to being an adult and I not a lot of people had had asked me to coach them over the years or look for really feedback and 
maybe that was that could be for loads of reasons and it's not something that ever particularly bothered me to be honest because I was quite happy to get on with um kind of the business side of things I was doing and I'm so busy but then I did get approached um by a couple of people and then one of them in particular yeah I'm coaching with Marion and it's it is it is because I think it's a, I think it's a really good thing to do female athlete really talented um and I think it's the right thing to do and also the other side of it is it does bring me joy and I think life is too short not to do things that bring you joy and I make it work within my life so you know myself and Marion will go to the track and we'll she'll like she has two um her smaller kids are not dissimilar age to my kids um although Arch is, is younger than all of them but she'll bring her girls so like my daughter loves the Heffernan girls like mm-hmm. love them um because she has a brother so she thinks the Heffernan girls are very cool compared to her brother and we'll go to the track we'll bring the kids we'll do our coaching we'll sit like you know when we programmed the other night for three hours we did it over dinner with the kids the kids had a disco while we were doing the programming so we make it work within what's going on in our lives with our family lives and I think it's good as well you know maybe for especially my daughter to see that to see us uh, in that in that coaching space and also in that kind of like our athletes female athletes so coaching a female athlete I think that's really really important that sport is something that's very normal um so yeah no it's it's good I'm really enjoying it um like you do you and it's funny you question yourself though like <laughs> you're writing out the program and like I'm fortunate that like there's diff- different people I would ring about the program um and I tap into their knowledge, like, this is what we're thinking about doing. And Marion's the same. And it, there's a bit of comfort in having each other as well. So we're like, this is what I do. She's like, this is what she do. And then we talk through, talk through, and then we come to what we think is the best thing. But there's a lot of detail goes into it. Um, every session is very, very detailed. And it's funny, you put all this time into it and it could all, as you know, with a, a track and field, it could all just fall apart. You know, you could get an injury, you know, or... But I think that's not the point. The point is to do it because it's enjoyable. It's a good thing to do. And yeah, no, it's great. So when kind of the question, I suppose, is more, do I have ambitions to do it? I'm just doing it very much in the present moment. If this is the person who asked me to help them, so I will. They're really sound. I have a laugh. The kids have a laugh. And we'll see where we go with it. But it's it's a really good experience. Really good to be on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a funny one recently. I was here in my office and looked out the window. It was lashing rain, and I was due to go and watch a running session. And I was like, "God, what am I going to do if it's raining?" <laughs> and then I remember thinking, "I never ever doubted for one second my coaches Sean and Terry wouldn't stand in the rain for me." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I just always assumed for all those years they'd stand in the rain, and they did." So um, that you're so the coaching thing is so selfless compared to the running thing, and I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not as nice as my coaches were yet, but hopefully I get there. I can imagine now when word starts to spread, Durable, that you are doing a bit of coaching. There'll be lots of aspiring athletes, I'd say, knocking on your door in time, wanting to tap into that knowledge and the experience that you had as well. So I'd say you could end up being very busy. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, I'm still. I'm still trying to learn and myself and Marion are kind of trying to learn mm-hmm. and we're lucky in that the athlete we're working with is a little bit older so it's not in that transition phase from being a teenager because I think that's really really hard really hard to get a kid particularly female athletes I think from 18 19 to 23 24 and you know successfully going through those years so um yeah there there's also comfort in the fact that our athlete is a little bit older a little bit more experienced okay so let's take a look back at your career and I want to start like right at the beginning so what were your earliest memories of sport 
Um, my earliest memories were more of play than sport, if that makes sense. Like, so I grew up in an estate with 50 houses and there was just kids everywhere. And like, all you did was play, like play, 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 no matter what the time of the year was. There was a big green in front of my house and I just was constantly playing. So to me, playing was sport, you know, whether you were playing like Red Rover or Rounders or whatever, I was just like, this is a great laugh. And I loved it, loved, loved running around, loved playing. And then that became a little bit more formal, I suppose, when I got, when I got a teacher rang my parents to say they thought I should go into a running club. And, but so I suppose that was kind of, it was the play thing. And then in the background to always being playing, like always being out and running around with other kids. And most of the kids in my state were like, I was the youngest kind of with that whole set of kids. So I was always running around like bigger kids and faster kids. And all you're always, you get that little bit of a thing where you are always having to like, hustle and bustle to try and stay up with them when you're younger because you know when you're a six and they're seven it's a big deal like it's not a big deal as an adult but it's a big deal when you're that small um and then in the background like my dad would have loved sport like just a massive fan of sport and he would have gone to rugby matches most weekends um his rugby club was Highfield so I would have gone out there a lot with him and my dad never he never kind of differentiated between like male and female sport like and he still doesn't and so I think for me, I was really fortunate in that I was in an environment where like sport was sport. It was like running on the green with everybody or going out and watching a match because there's a match on. Like I didn't look at it being like, oh, these are big men playing a big rugby match. I just was like, oh, that's that's interesting. So from when I was very young, I was very aware that sport was something that I thought was really cool. And I really enjoyed my kids version of it. Who were your heroes then, like when you started to, I guess, maybe understand what sport was and you were able to, to see it maybe on the TV or um, down in your local pitch or wherever? Um, I was, I guess, motivated or kind of, in, not motivated as far as kind of influenced is the word by the, the people that were around me. So I, like the estate I grew up in, one of the guys who lived two doors up was a guy, Damien Delaney, who you might know now. So um that's Damien, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so me and me and Damien are the same age. We grew up in the same state. So, like, literally, there's one house between us. And so, when I was like running around, and he was obviously kicking a football. Um, and we, when we started to get a bit older, come into being like young teenagers, like 13, 14, he's be like, "Oh, I'm gonna play Premiership soccer." And I was like, "Yeah, like I'm gonna go to the Olympics, like for running," because I just become aware of what the Olympics was. So. Because he was into soccer and he was a pal of mine, um, I kind of got into soccer. So then I was like obsessed with like Dennis Irwin and Roy Keane, um, what they were doing and obviously the level they were doing it on. And then because I was in this estate with like lots of boys and stuff, so there was always soccer talk going on. So I think I definitely looked at that as a, a young teenage girl. And then at the, then at the same time for that, you had Sonia O'Sullivan being like a global superstar. And Sonia had a massive... Sonia's presence had a massive influence on me as a teenage girl, thinking like, you can you can do this, like you can be in this sport and do something, whatever. I don't think I ever really aspired to be as good as she was, because I do think she was so outrageously good. Um, but I think I thought I could do something because I could see her. Um, the other really funny one is I wanted to be the first female manager of Man United. And that was one of my things as a young teenager I was just like do you know what would be interesting now I took over from Alex Ferguson <laughs> that would be an interesting career path but that hasn't worked out for me 
Well, it hasn't really worked out for too many females. Coaching in anyway, men's professional sport for women is a very difficult landscape and there's really limited progress being made since you dreamed of taking over from Alex Ferguson. It's well, awful, isn't it? It is awful, yeah, it really is. Yeah. All around the place you're seeing progress, but it just whatever it is about professional men's sport, it's very hard for women to to um to make any progress in the backroom teams and work their way up. Um, what about your talent then? When did you first realize that you were that you were quick or that you were good at sport? Um, talent is an interesting one because I I I knew I was quick when I was a young kid because again, as I said, I was like out on the green in front of my house running against all these other kids like I just wanted to race anybody that would race me so I was very aware that like I could run but I don't honestly believe I ever thought I was really talented and even throughout my career and even now when I talk to people about my career like I'm always trying to make the point that I worked really really hard and I was very strategic and structured and analytical about my running so it's even hard for me now to go, I was talented, which is ridiculous because I obviously had a certain level of speed. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't very like incredibly dominant in the sprints. Like I was good. I would at national level kind of from, from when I was small, I would be in the top three in a hundred meters, say. And then in the hurdles, I'd just win those kind of easier because there wasn't as many kids doing it. Um, but I'd always be, it would be rare for me not to be in the top two from when I was quite young. So I guess I all, I knew I was good, but then I was in an age group with other really talented girls. So if I had been maybe in another age group, it might have, I might have stood out a bit more as being more talented. But I don't think, I think that would have done me a disservice because I feel I went really under the radar for most of my young career and my junior years and into being in my early 20s. I don't think people really took too much notice, which I think was brilliant for me because it just meant I had so little pressure. So I guess that talent, it was more an awareness of being good, but always feeling like I wasn't quite good enough. So I had to work harder. Did you do any other sports? Did you play on any teams? Yeah, I played hockey, which I loved. Um, absolutely loved hockey, still love hockey. The women qualifying to the Olympics is one of my favorite sporting moments of all time. I was like on my hands and knees in front of television praying. Um, <laughs> but it was just an incredible moment. Um, so I played hockey, um, did gymnastics as a kid when I was young, wasn't particularly good at it, but loved it. Um, and that that was kind of it. That was probably a lot back, that was probably a lot back then in the 80s and 90s. Um, <laughs> but what was interesting for me though as a teenager was when I was playing hockey, I felt like it was very opinion based, whether you, you know, because I'd have gotten some monster trials and that kind of thing. And I never made it onto a monster team. And whether or not that was because I was not good enough or not, I could never quite figure out. I was like, I'd go for trials and I, you know, you always kind of walk away and you don't get selected thinking, oh, is it just because they preferred another player? Whereas it always very much felt like to me in track and field, like there is no room for argument. There is no opinion. It's what's on the photo finish, it is what it is. And I, I think hockey gave me a real great love of that black and white nature of track and field. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I love it, but I'm thankful that it pointed that out to me. So when you were on the road as an athlete or you, know, you were kind of realizing that maybe being an athlete was something that you could possibly do, at the highest level what what did you have to work on most like what were the what what part of your game essentially did you need to develop 
I would say I had like kind of two distinct different phases of my career. So there was this the early years where I qualified for every major championship. Once I went to, I think from when I was in about 21, I started qualifying for European outdoors, European indoors, world indoors, world outdoors. And then I qualified for the Olympic Games. And that was like, I went to all those championships. I was young, got knocked out the back door. I was totally useless compared to what the standard was globally, but I was. And I, that was like, so for me, that experience and that experience took about four or five years. Um, every time I went to a championship, like I learned something. So like I'd go and I'd get knocked out and then I'd go down to the warm up area for the semi-final of my event and I'd watch all of them. And then I'd go down to the final. Then I'd watch it. Hey, who are these eight girls in the final? And I slowly but surely, year on year for those five years in my early 20s, or probably kind of 19 to 24, put together the things those girls were that I wasn't. So um, I was always kind of slight. I wasn't very um, I wasn't very strong in the gym. So I f- figured out like, okay, I, you know, you need to not necessarily bulk up. It's so hard for me to bulk up. It's just not in my makeup. So I'm like, but you need to get stronger in the gym. So I get stronger. Um, I realized I need to be much better with my food, on my recovery. Um, then I realized I need to be quicker on the flat. So I'd look at like those girls who were getting into the semi-final. What do they run for 100 meters versus what do I run for 100? So I, it's so funny because there was never like one thing like, oh, if I just work on this, this will happen. It was more like there's so much instead of, and things I never looked in a negative way. I never thought like, oh my God, they're so much better. I just thought, there's so much scope here. Like imagine if I started doing things better and imagine if I like put a better structure around myself, what could happen? I think the final piece of the puzzle for me was I was 23 and I got knocked out in the semi-final of the world championships or on a season's best. Then I got a medal at the world students, but I hadn't run a personal best in three years. And I was like, there's something going on in my technique. Like I don't know what it is. And that's when I rang Sean Cahill. I was like, can you just come to the track and look at me technically. Like I've worked on everything. Like I'm faster on the flat. I'm stronger in the gym. I'm eating well. I'm recovering. Um, I knew mentally I was always pretty good. Like as in I loved the stress of championships. So that was never, it wasn't like I was going to champs and not enjoy. I was loving it. Um, so when he came on board, um, that piece of the puzzle to work on that technique, I was like that unlocked my capacity from being someone who could make championships, maybe get out of the first round if I had a really good day, but possibly not to someone who could make a final and knock on the door for a medal. It was, it was the te- in the end, it was all the other pieces with the technique on top of it. If I had done the technique four years before that without the strength, without the speed, without the general lifestyle changes, the technique wouldn't have made any difference. I wouldn't have been fast enough and strong enough for it to matter. So yeah, that's, is that a really complicated answer? No, but what does stand out for me is that though that you kind of had to do it on your own so like you were somebody who had talent and had work ethic and had an amazing amount of potential but you had to create your own environment which doesn't really reflect too well on maybe the powers that be that should be identifying that talent and trying to nurture it just to make athletics more visible in this country and essentially more successful. Yeah. And I mean, you like you could look at that all day long. But then the other thing I would say about it is like I when I stood at a start line in a major championship, I could stand there and I could say in my mind, I was like, 
I know I've done everything I need to see in the gym. I know I know a lot about my gym work. I know a lot about what I have to do nutrition-wise. I know a lot about my speed. I know I was so empowered by my own work that I never stood there thinking nobody did this for me. I stood there thinking I I have figured this out and now I'm going to show all these girls just how tough I am. So it's funny, like when you race in something like sprint hurdles, it's really competitive and it's really it's such a global sport and it's such a global event. So like you're racing someone from Jamaica, you're racing someone from Canada, you're racing someone from Nigeria, you're racing someone from China. And like those girls are so tough, like they're so, so tough. And, but in the most impressive way, like most of them haven't had an easy ride. Like nobody gets to a start line of a world championship final because they had a bit of talent. That's not how it works. It's too hard. So when I got there, having to do it the way I did it, I got there with a huge amount of resilience built up and a huge ownership of my lane. So like I stood in my lane going, whatever happens here, I'll own every part of it. And I'm pretty good with that. So at times I was probably frustrated. Particularly maybe as my career went on, when I was like, I feel like I shouldn't have to keep fighting for this stuff. But actually I look back now and I go, like, you know, it made me the athlete I was in many ways. And I think Robert Heffernan is similar. I think David Gillick was similar a lot of the time. Paul Hessian was certainly the same and we were all going at the same time so as much as you could be frustrated the flip side of it is if you're an athlete that comes through that and does certain things I think you can get to where we got to and I, I don't I wouldn't reduce what an impact in a good way some of that had. yeah and I completely agree with you but I just don't think it should have to be that hard for athletes to find their way to success that there should be a pathway there and there should be support around them and there should be just people there to to make it a little bit easier because like this is Ireland you know what I mean like we're in a very developed country where there should be people with the emotional intelligence and intelligence to be able to identify the talented athletes and and try and make them successful instead of standing back and letting them figure it out all on their own is my, my take on it, but you lived it. So you obviously, you know. No, but I'd, I'd agree with you to a large extent, but what, like where I, for me, I think there's a bit of a, dis, where, what I would find disappointing. And th- the other side of it is I'm retired now, good for years. So like things could be far better now. I don't know, I'm not involved. Like I've, that's not an area I work in. So I have no idea, but I, I feel like there's athletes who are more talented than I was, who have gone through the sport and left the sport with no medals, and I've left the sport with a few medals. So I, for me, that's what I find disappointing as someone who loves the sport and who loves being Irish. And like, I stand on the start line and be very proud of the fact that I was Irish. Like I stand there and be like, okay, the Jamaicans are known for being really fast and they've really good sprint hurdlers and the Americans are known for their depth. But I'm like, now with what I'm doing, they know that Ireland can produce a sprint hurdler and that once we're at a championship that they have someone to reckon with. And I was very proud of that. So I think that... Some of the talent, maybe maybe there's an argument that some of it gets lost because they don't do all those things that I would have talked about and that, you know, Gillick did and Rob did and stuff. Yeah, and they just might not have been in a position where they were able to find the way like you guys were able to find a way. So there, I'm sure there'll be, if you scratch the surface enough, there'll be plenty of people who did fall through the cracks. Anyway, as you said, hopefully things are getting better now. I think we probably won't know that until maybe the next few years as some of those younger athletes start coming through. So back to you, Derville. Uh, at what, no, what stage in your life, or even, I, I'm not even sure if you ever have, like, did you feel like, okay, I can make it, like I can make it as a, 
as a top class athlete, like, you know, even listening to you, you're talking about winning the world championships. Okay. You're saying, oh, it was indoor, but you still did that. Like you were still at the top of your game. Did you, was there a moment where you, you felt like you, you belonged there? Um, I remember getting a, my silver at European Outdoors that same year. And I knew a lot of Irish athletes who had meddled and had meddled once and hadn't repeated it. So we do have lots of Irish athletes who have meddled and meddling is insane. It's so hard to do. And I remember I put this pressure on myself after I won World Indoors that I couldn't just be a once off. And I felt like, and it's like, I could have made it up in my head because you do what you have to do to get to perform. I used to tell myself that everyone thought it was just going to be a once off. And I remember getting ready for that outdoor season. I tore my groin and I missed seven weeks between indoors and outdoors. So realistically, I shouldn't have been ready for that European outdoors. But I kept telling myself, I kept going, they don't think you can meddle again. They think it was a once off. Like they're all talking. But I don't know if they were. Like I have no idea. And I went to that European outdoors, really short season, um, just scraped into the final as the eighth fastest. It was in lane one. And I managed to come second, ran an Irish record. And I remember, I think I was drug tested afterwards. So everybody had gone back to the hotel. And I walked back on my own from the stadium back to the hotel. It was only like 10 minutes or something. And it was one of those really funny things where everyone thought I was with someone else. And I wasn't. I was just like wandering out of the stadium. So my parents thought I was with Sean and Terry. Sean and Terry thought I was with my parents. And then anyway... And I walked back on my own and I remember I was walking along by this canal and there's all these ducks. <laughs> I remember just like so elated that I'd won a second medal. I just remember having this chat with these ducks, like a crazy person. I was there. That's it now, ducks. We've done it. Never <laughs> hey, lads. <laughs> Everyone thought I would never get a second medal. They said I couldn't run outdoors. That was another thing that I used to tell myself. Everyone says you can't run outdoors. Um, and I remember I had about 10 minutes of, of, of really enjoying it. <laughs> And then I honestly, I didn't, um, I never, I never stayed in that mental place where I thought I'd made it because it's too hard. It's, it's too, it's so competitive that you can't be 90% and make finals and win medals. You have to be 100% and have things go right and get a bit lucky. So I honestly, that's the only time I can think of was that 10 minutes. The rest of my career, it felt like I was just scrapping, scrapping, fighting really, really hard to make a final, to win, try and get another medal. And in the end, in the end, I got three, another European, I think three more Europeans, but, and a fourth at a World Outdoors, but all of it felt like a scrap. It never, ever felt easy. It never felt like I was sitting at the top table and that I was comfortable there. It always felt like I had to fight to be anywhere near it. One thing as well, Dervil, that really stands out is obviously the mental strength that you have. And it's something I think that people always associate with you that you just have this steeliness and from listening to you there it sounds like as well you were able to find a way to motivate yourself and so few people can actually do that with success but you seem to be able to do it yeah he's very self-driven like I never like my parents are like horizontal relaxed like they like they had never had these ambitions that I would go to the Olympics and win medals and have this big running career like that was ne- they didn't care like and not in a bad way like they cared about me being happy and joyful they didn't and whatever that was if it was it didn't matter what it was so when I was and I think that served me so like I always had to be I always had to want it because 
I wasn't in a scenario where people were wanting it for me or people were pushing me. And even in Leavell, like Leavell is my club and Leavell, you know, Mark Carroll's in Leavell, Marcus O'Sullivan's in Leavell. Like when you're a kid and you're down there and you're training, like there's these athletes who, you know, Mark won major medals, Marcus won a lot of medals and that's the standard. So like, they're not looking at their teenagers thinking, oh, who's our, who's our diamond here and who's going to be the one that will produce. So I, from very young, I was very like, oh yeah, I really, really want to give this a crack. And also I, lo- I loved competing, like loved, loved, loved when the pressure and the stress was on and that it came down to one moment. I found the entire racing season hard because I found that I couldn't get to that level week in, week out for three months of the year. I just didn't physically and mentally, I couldn't do it. But then I could get to a, a certain level far above the rest of the season for two days a year. And I loved that. It was like, I looked, the way I looked at it was like always glass half full. So I was like, if you can get to a championship and you're, you're like healthy, you're not injured, you're not sick, straight away you're winning. Then if you can get there, and I just go through the start list of every single girl who's entered in every championship and I find all the reasons why they were in my mind going to underperform and why I was going to overperform. So I do that. I'd be like, no, she ran well in May. She's done. She's cooked. Da, da, da. So I'd be <laughs> talking to myself. And then um, and then if I could get into the start for a final, then I'd be like, this is like the best ticket in town. Like imagine if you could have, when you're running up hills in October, November in Ireland and you're trying not to puke into a bush, you dream of being in world finals. You dream of being in European finals and giving it a go, being, being at the party and trying to do your best. So I, yeah, I, I think... And like there were times when the pressure definitely got to me and I didn't enjoy it. But for the most part, I loved being that, like being that, being ready to kind of fight. I enjoyed that. Yeah, well, you you seem to have it perfected anyway. Like any time on a start line in a major championship, you just always looked like you were, you were in the zone, like you, you were on top of what you had to do. It was like it was one of my favorite sites actually. I love seeing you in major championships at the start line. Uh, really brilliant. So setbacks Derville everybody has them well actually not everybody Padraig Harrington told me he's never had a setback ever in his career I know amazing um did you uh, did you ever have to overcome any oh I feel like my entire career was setbacks um <laughs> I, like the way I had to get to being the athlete I was wasn't because things were laid out for me because that was a necessity so you know I as I said early in my career I qualified for every major championship in a five-year period but the the end point of that was my funding got cut because I qualified but I didn't progress but I was in that really difficult phase of being 19 to 24 where it's hard, it's a really hard development phase for an athlete so when my funding got cut the first time my funding got cut loads of times throughout my career and the first time it happened I remember just being so frustrated about it because I felt like I had such potential and I felt like I got cut the year before I won world indoors, before I became world champion. And I just felt like I could see where I could go. And I felt like, why are the people making the decisions? Why can't they see this the way I can see this? And that was a really big setback. And, but again, it, it, it's like an extra layer of toughness just came over me. So I was like, right, if that's the decision they want to make, I can't control the decision. All I can do is, control the variables to keep doing what I'm doing so I went away I got a job like the year one world indoors I was working almost full time and 
I got a job to bridge the gap financially. So I had enough money to pay my rent and survive and all that kind of stuff. And so that was a really tough setback, really, really tough. Then I won Worlds Indoors and obviously then my funding increased again. So that was fantastic. Um, but then I got a stress fracture in my spine, which most people, which I never really talked about. So about, I won a European medal in August and that October I got a stress fracture in my back. Um, and I still have problems with that um, all these years later. So from that point, from 2006 until I retired in 2014, I had to manage that. So I would have gone through phases of my career where I couldn't put my socks on because my mobility was so bad. I used to get a lot of nerve pain down my right leg. Um, I used to get little injuries then because of it. So because I was so weak, I would get other stuff. So I'd like tweak my hamstring or I do my groin and all that was because I had this ongoing back issue where it really hurt my back so that October I remember I remember going to like the RT sports personality of the year that year and I was in bits I hadn't run in two months could barely put on my shoes to go and I was always very like I never really talked about the injuries and people think my career I didn't have any injuries and I did but I, I made this decision that like the injuries were part of the game so I was like I, this is part of it. And now how I manage it is part of my strategy to run well. So I'm every time something happened, it was like, how do I adjust? How do I, okay, I'm injured again. I've torn my groin because my back's not good. How do I adapt to this? How do I cross train? How do I do this differently? What's, how do I go left when I can't go right? Um, so I would have really, really struggled for all those years with injuries. There was no season after 2006 that I wasn't injured. I was injured a lot. So and that was because I had a stress fracture on my back. So I think the the back scenario was was t really tough. How's it now then? Yeah, like I have to mind it. Like I have to. Um, and that's it's so funny. That's a lot of why I'm into health and fitness. I think because it's a bit of a selfish thing in my business. Like if I if I work out at a certain level, um, I don't get pain with it. But if I don't, I do get pain with it. So I have to keep it very strong and stable around it. And I suppose in both my pregnancies, so I was very worried about it. Mm -hmm. um, I was very worried I'd lose mobility in it and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's pretty, like, it's pretty good now. Like, but it's not, it will never be, I'll ne it'll never be totally pain-free. It'll never be perfect. I'll always have to mind it. Um, if I didn't do something for seven days now, if I didn't do any form of exercise, I would be very, very sore. Um, find driving long distances difficult and that kind of thing. So, like, I, so I think managing that when, and I would, like, it's funny, I don't regret that I didn't talk about it that much because I think things can end up defining people. And I didn't want people to always be asking me how my back was. So the people who knew about it were like my coaches and my physio. And they, they were like, this is part of it. Like she's, her, there's a, it's a bit of vulnerability here around the spine. So what do we do? What other things do we do? And how do we factor that in? And even with racing and stuff, a lot of times when I would have been racing badly, it would have been because I was having a problem with my back and I couldn't straighten out my leg properly over the hurdles. Um, just because of nerve pain so that was tough then I got the final setback of my career is I um was having, my back was at me and I came off a hurdle badly and I got a bit of bone from my foot inserted into my Achilles and um I ended up having to have surgery to get it removed so that was yeah that was that was very tough as well yeah. you had a lot like when you think about it there yeah. are people who go through their whole careers in different sports without any injuries at all. They are definitely the lucky ones. Mm. Um, so as well then, Derville, when you think about all the people that you have met along the way and encountered in your family, who had the biggest impact on you? 
That's really hard to say one person because I think it's doing loads of people a disservice. But I would say the person who was around in, because I think it's just as important to be around on the really hard days. It's it's easy to be there in the good days. It's much harder to be there in the crap days. Um, Would have been Sean, Sean Cahill. So like he started coaching me when I was at a point where I was considering giving up. Like I I rang him saying, I've done everything. Can you look at my technique? And had he not come into my career at that point, it was it was probably a year left in it. And that's before I'd done made any final. Um, and then as much as like we had loads of success together, like lots of medals, lots of national records, we had loads of really, really horrendous days, Beijing Olympics, you know, getting injured at a world championships in Daegu, that type of thing. And his presence during all of that was was really, really important. Um, and it had a really positive, positive impact on me because on those days, I think if you don't have a really good sound support structure, and that might just be one person in that moment, it's very easy to get, to have really long-term, I would say almost like negative mental impacts from it. So like on those days, and those are so hard, like imagine flying home, like from a Beijing Olympics where you thought you were going to win a medal and you went out in the first round. Like I was injured going into that Beijing again, I was injured my back. And um, he, he just really, he really dealt with, dealt with me really well on the tough days and on the good days she like Sean Savage crack so we were just loving life but on the bad days like him being there and he wouldn't even have to say anything he was just there and like honestly from the first half of my career those first five championships I went to when they didn't go well because they didn't really because I got knocked out and all of them there was nobody there like I was on my own like my parents might have been up in the stand only delighted that I was there like because they were you know they were just so happy I qualified but like there was no one there from a whole career kind of perspective kind of taking me aside and going okay this isn't what you want but there is some good in this and how do we move forward and he became that person and that was very impactful. When you think of when you were younger and you were maybe dreaming of someday being an athlete is there like one race like it doesn't have to be a race that you won is there one race where you just felt okay this is all gone right this is the this is the way I want to run this is the performance that defines me. Funnily enough, it's um, I came fourth at World Outdoors in 2009 and I had had a shocker the year before at the Beijing Olympics. I'd been injured, I'd been sick, it had all fallen apart. And I made this, I made this um this kind of agreement with Sean and Terry, because his, his wife Terry coached me as well, she's amazing. And I was like, I'll do another year if I enjoy it and if I get back to that place that I stand on the start line I just want to fight I just want to like get out there fight against the other girls and the thing is as well with that fighting against the other girls like I love how brilliant all those girls are so to be in a position to be able to fight them to win something was like massive to me so I was like if I can get back enjoying that and doing that then it's an absolute victory um but if I'm not enjoying it I don't want to be here it's too hard I have to enjoy it and like I, I, don't, I have never really looked at my results from the Beijing Olympics. I have no idea how actually bad it was, but it was horrendous. So from where, whatever that result was to like 10 months later, standing in a final of World Championships and coming fourth in an Irish record, it was a huge victory for me in terms of getting back, being like being back also in outdoor World Championships, just missing a medal. I was in lane one. Um, that's my absolute favorite run of my career. And like, I almost love as well the fact that in a lot of ways it went under the radar because Olive won her medal at World Championships that year. Um, 
so everyone was going a bit mad for Olive, which of course they should have been doing. And I remember I flew home, just myself and Sean. We didn't fly home with the team. We just flew home, came into Dublin Airport. There's nobody there because you're fourth. You don't have a medal. And I remember we just were like, that's what it's all about. It's not about the fanfare. It's not about everyone telling you you're brilliant. It's about knowing like that you set out to do something and you did it. And it was just really important to you. Um, so that was, that was by far my favorite race in my career. Have you still, would you ever watch back the Olympics? No. You're, I don't think there's enough time in a, like a psychologist chair that could get me over that. Right? I mean, I just like to pretend it didn't happen. No, I don't like to pretend it didn't happen because I'm very aware that it happened. But you went to an Olympics, which is a big achievement. I know you didn't get what you wanted out of it, but you still went to an Olympic Games. You're a rare breed of person. Well, I went to three, so, and all of them. Um, the closest I got to doing what I wanted to do at an Olympics was London. And I still have a lot of, of on, on kind of resolved business in, in that I think I could have done better. So I've never watched any of them. I've never watched London, never watched Beijing, haven't looked at Athens, but I haven't really watched the other races very much either. It's not like I sit at home and watch. <laughs> I never did it. I, I used to do a thing straight away after a championship where I'd watch them and analyze them. So I'd be like, what was my touchdown hurdle one? I'd get all the data. And I'd analyze it. Like, I wouldn't be watching it going, isn't that a lovely memory? Like, I'd be watching it from a strategic perspective because the margins are so tiny. So if I got beaten, like, that time in Worlds 09, I got beaten by a tiny bit to get a medal. So I was like, where did I lose that? And I'd watch it from that perspective. But I've never watched it from a sheer enjoyment. And I, I find, I even, I don't think I could sit down and watch my race. And I find it really, I just find it really awkward. And even anything I do, like, this, um, did the late late the night with the fittest family crew I will never ever watch anything from jumping a hurdle to anything I do I just I just can't cope I don't like it would you not show the kids um have I ever sat down with them I think I might have shown Daphne race maybe a couple of years ago because she's asking me about something um but no not, no we don't I haven't really bothered Peter probably will maybe um I wouldn't though that's mad. Um, I just imagine all like Olympians sit back, you know, once a year at Christmas, maybe, and press play. Obviously not. Um, so tell me then, what was or is your greatest success, do you think? In life or in sport? Whichever. It can be either. Some people say it's their family. Some people say it's winning something. It's different for different people. Yeah, I don't. And maybe it's awful, but I, I always feel like... I have to enjoy the present. So whatever I'm doing, like I have to find joy in it. Like I have to enjoy it. So I'm yes, I'm really competitive and I'm really ambitious, but I'm also into the crack and enjoying stuff. So I would say my biggest success is like finding ways to do the things I want to do and not feeling like I have to conform to what everybody else wants me to do. Or So even now, you know, with the kids, like my ultimate thing now is I get to decide you know I, I work for myself so I can figure out my own work hours and you know I get to mold stuff around what's important to me being a parent to them um so that's a really big success to me but I think just living my life the way I want to do it and not really probably conforming which is awful um my business partner jokes that I'm really unemployable because I just want to do what I want to do um but that's a big success to me because even in track and field like I honestly think I had no business being there a lot of the time, you know, like I it probably wasn't necessarily my level, but I somehow found a way to be there. So that's a big success to me. 
Um, and now it's a big success. It's like, would it, you know, the business I have now, like there's six of us full time in the business. Like we started that from scratch and probably four years ago, most people would have thought that was a bit mad. Whereas now it's working and it's a lot of hard work, but it's brilliant and it m- enables me to do the things the way I want to do. So I think that's success to me. So it's a very rambling answer, but it's a very deep question. It is. Colin Cooper's one stands with stands out to me when I asked him this, um, the former Kerry footballer, he said it's, he fulfilled his potential, which was a, uh, which was a very good one. So this is even, this is even deeper one. And it's one that people really struggle with. It's legacy. What do you think will be yours? Oh yeah, that's really hard. Um, that's why I ask it, Derville, because it's a hard one. Really hard. Honestly, and I, I really, to a large extent, I don't, care if people remember me or not and I don't mean it's not that I don't it's not that I'm dismissive of people being really nice about my career but it was never about everybody else um it was very much about what I could do in that moment to do myself proud and do myself justice while I was running for Ireland like that's it was that simple so I never really worried about the legacy part of it but now I look at it and I go I would hope that like what I did in the event I did it in makes other athletes particularly female athletes mm-hmm. um go you know what there's a way to have a crack off this to be irish i was always based here um and there's a way to do it so i hope that i've shown some of them um that what i did there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it even better like i hope someone goes out there and absolutely rips up my irish records and i get to sit down drink a glass of wine and watch them do it because I'll know that they're absolutely brilliant. So like that's the ultimate legacy to see someone do it and do it way better than I did it and hope that seeing me do it had a little bit of a part to play in them wanting to do it. I think that would be a great legacy. So finally then, what is next for you? Oh gosh, what's next? There's always so much going on. Um, really enjoying the business. Um, you know, we have a shop and then we have our online subscription as well and health and wellness. I love that whole world of health and wellness. I find it really interesting. I love working with, it's actually mainly female experts I work with. They're brilliant women. Um, I have an amazing community in that. So I'm enjoying that. And then I'm enjoying dipping my toes in the water of coaching, not because, as I said, I have any ambitions to take over the world in coaching, but I enjoy being a little bit in that world again from that perspective where you're looking at the detail and you're going, okay, if we do all of these things right, can someone get to where they want to go? Like that would be a huge, a hugely enjoyable thing. And not for me because, you know, I kind of say, I don't think an athlete should ever feel pressure from coaches because it just shouldn't matter that much to to a coach in terms of for their own personal self worth but you love to see someone doing something well and enjoying it so yeah does that make sense terrible you certainly did lots of things well in your career um you had a great journey and i definitely enjoyed following you you mentioned people aspiring to follow in your footsteps and i think you definitely inspired so many people along the way boys and girls men and women and thank you for all of that and all the great days as well watching you on the start line as i said was one of my favorite sites when i was a little bit younger, I guess, but sure, we're the same age. Anyway, I probably felt, you know what, another overachiever there, Derville O'Rourke. Look at her, racing for Ireland. Too late for me now. Um, but look, thanks for everything and thanks for chatting to me. And I uh, really appreciate you giving the time. And thanks to everybody for watching and listening. Please like, subscribe and leave a review.